Hello and welcome to the Powerhouse Politics Podcast. I'm ABC News Political Director Rick Klein with a special South Carolina preview podcast. Uh, We took the podcast on the road this week. I was in Charleston, South Carolina. I was actually at the event where Congressman James Clyburn was going to give uh, his endorsement. And uh, this really wasn't a huge secret. It wasn't a huge mystery. I think most people knew who it was going to be. But I had the weird experience of entering the wrong room. And when this happens, um, there's a little bit of a a flurry, a little bit of a scramble. And security people kind of uh, came over to me and said, sir, what are you doing here? But um, by the time they came, I got a real good glimpse of the man of the moment, and it was Joe Biden. Uh, People, of course, knew it was going to be Biden, but I got confirmation just a moment before. Uh, And this was a big moment for the Biden campaign, a big moment in the the South Carolina primary, which could prove pivotal on Saturday. Uh, And that's because uh, Jim Clyburn is the most respected uh, and, and probably the most recognizable senior Democrat in the state. Uh, I've been covering Congressman Clyburn and his role in the primaries going back to 2004, and uh, he has always been the the man that is uh, the most wanted endorsement in the state. Not just because of the political machine he brings, but because of the respect that he has among uh, so many South Carolinians, uh, Democrats in particular, African-American Democrats in particular. Uh, And this is Joe Biden's firewall. So we thought it'd be a good time to check in with Congressman Clyburn about his endorsement of Joe Biden, about South Carolina, about some of his rivals, and even about uh, the candidate that his own grandson is supporting, Pete Buttigieg. Congressman, welcome. Thank you for having me. And Congressman, I, I saw at your event uh, where you issued the endorsement, you mentioned that you uh, had made up your mind some time ago uh, and just decided to, to, to make the announcement uh, on the eve of the primary. How, how long did you how long ago did you make up your mind? Was there ever any kind of choice in your mind? And, and why Joe Biden, ultimately? Well, as you know, uh, I lost my wife back in September. Um, we talked about this campaign, we talked about the future of this country, we talked about who we thought uh, would be the best person to be president, the best person to take on Donald Trump. And um, we felt very strongly uh, that it was Joe Biden. Uh, My wife uh, grew up in rural South Carolina on a little 23-acre farm. Uh, and um, she grew up walking two and a half miles to school every morning, two and a half miles back home every afternoon at a time when black kids were not allowed to have school buses. Uh, she always identified with the politics of Joe Biden. And she just thought he was one of the most principled people uh, in politics. And so it was easy for me. Uh, I have a daughter who's a public school teacher, a 25-year school teacher. She talks and interacts with Joe Biden a whole lot. Uh, in fact, she sat with Joe Biden at the debate uh, last night. Um, they're very good friends. Um, so it was easy for me. The hard thing for me was to decide whether or not to be public and to make a public endorsement. And I was holding out on doing that until last Friday uh, when I went to a funeral service uh, for my longtime accountant who passed away after a pretty long and painful illness. And the lady at the church, elderly lady, seemed to be in, upper, in her upper 80s, called me over to her and said to me, I said, people in this community want to hear from you. I want to hear from you as to who you think is best for us to vote for out here. Uh, And then she said, lean down 
And if you don't want anybody to hear, to hear you, just whisper in my ear, tell me who I should vote for. That was a pretty moving experience for me. Uh, and I decided then and there uh, that I would be very public uh, with my endorsement and uh, do whatever I could to help educate those people in the public who may be torn as to who they want to vote for and may need to have some help in making up their minds. And, and Congressman Clyburn, you're as associated with anyone uh, as anyone is with with the history of the of the primary here, the early primary in South Carolina being a critical one. Um, I know your endorsement has been a sought off uh, sought after one for for decades now. But walk us through the political geography of the primary here in South Carolina. What does a candidate need to do? Where does he or she need to perform to stitch together? the winning coalition in this first state that has a large share of African-American voters? Well, thank you. Not only is it a large share of African-American voters, it's got such a diverse uh, economy, a diverse uh, you know, you know, population. Uh, the African-American voting cycle is 29%. Uh, in the Democratic primary, it, um, it's over 50%. Some people say 60 61%. I'm not too sure about that uh, in the primary, but I do know this. South Carolina is also a small enough state with a um, cheap enough media park, uh, market uh, for people to come in uh, and uh, learn how to connect uh, with a diverse set of voters. If you're in the PD of South Carolina, that's basically agriculture and farming in that area. If you're in the low country, down in Charleston, uh, that's where basically medical facilities are, the premier medical facilities. And also it used to be the military uh, in transition now, more tourism uh, than military anymore in terms of the economy. If you're in the Midlands, it's the educational and the seat of government. If you're in the Piedmont, it's the manufacturing part of the state. So you can come into South Carolina and really get a good feel about how your message resonates with certain people and talk to people uh, in these uh, professions and vocations and occupations and get a good feel for how you ought to relate to them. And so South Carolina, when we made the case to become uh, a primary state, you know, we used to be a caucus state. Mm-hmm. And we switched to the primary and we made the case for being early in the process by making the same argument I just uh, made to you. So South Carolina uh, is a great place. It should be uh, first or second in the process. I have been advocating for some time now uh, not to bother Iowa about being number one. We ought to bother them about changing to a, to a primary from a caucus. But what we ought to say is our and Nevada ought to go on the same day. South Carolina and New Hampshire ought to go on the same day. And if you look at those four states and the makeup of the states, if they were going on the same day or in the schedule that I just mentioned to you, you would not have a one-sided candidate developing momentum going to the next state. It's unfair for someone to win in Iowa, it's got 3% African-American and develop momentum and go to New Hampshire. They've got 1% African-American 
And by the time you get to South Carolina, where you've got a significant presence of African American, then the momentum has already been turned against you. Uh, the fundraising capability has begun to dry up, and then we end up getting a candidate that will need African Americans at a much higher percentage in the general election, but you have not exposed yourself to them uh, in the uh, primary. So that's why another reason why it was important for me to get out there today, because this is the first opportunity uh, that the African American community in significant numbers had uh, to um, express their views. One thing I've been struck by in the in the final days before the primary um, out of the Biden campaign and, and out of the vice president himself is the, the argument about the about the resonance of the Obama coalition. Uh, and he's been touting, obviously, his partnership, his work alongside former President Obama. Uh, South Carolina was a, really the state that uh, that vaulted him to the nomination back in, in 2008, a state that seemed to ratify uh, what, what he was doing when he started to pull away from Hillary Clinton. Does the Obama coalition matter anymore? Does, what's your view about whether the Obama coalition can be pieced together in 2020? Well, uh, I don't know. You know, I've, I've heard a lot of talk about the Obama coalition. I think that what resonates with people is whether or not they can see in your candidacy uh, any hope, any dreams, the fulfillment of any dreams for the future. Uh, and I think uh, that when you choose hope over fear uh, and you do it uh, in the way that you run your campaign, in the way that you speak to people uh, in exposing to them whatever your uh, platform may be, the better off you're going to be. Uh, remember, uh, Bill Clinton came to South Carolina talking about hope, even being from Hope, Arkansas. Uh, mm-hmm. And he had lost about nine uh, contests before he got to South Carolina, but he won in South Carolina and he got launched to the presidency. And Obama came to South Carolina talking about the audacity of hope. Uh, and he, he had just lost badly in New Hampshire, but got resurrected uh, in uh, South Carolina and went on to, to the presidency. The motto of South Carolina is, while I breathe, I hope. And so I have said uh, to candidates all over, run a campaign to fulfill uh, and practice the motto uh, of your state, and you'll be much better off than you would be if if you refuse to recognize that. There's an interesting dynamic in South Carolina that I'm sure you've picked up on. Um, um, it might be sort of a miniature of what we're about to see with Mike Bloomberg in Super Tuesday states, and that's Tom Steyer. He's really he's had the state's airwaves almost to himself for a long time. He's a self-funded candidate. He's been polling you know, third, maybe even second in in some polls recently. He's also he's also been accused of uh, essentially buying uh, the votes of African American leaders by by spreading. Uh, the money and uh, and uh, influence are around. What, what's your view of Tom Steyer? Is he a is he a threat to Joe Biden? Do you think there's anything to the idea that he's been buying support? He's been spending money. I don't think he's buying support. I don't think you're buying support uh, from white voters if you are paying a white company or business uh, to place your TV ads. That's what they do, and they get paid to do that. If you go out and uh, contract with a black uh, group to do your get-out-the-vote stuff, to do or run your field operation, 
That's what they do. And this whole notion of they buying black votes because you hire uh, black people to do your GOTV, but you aren't buying white votes when you hire white companies to place your TV ads. Come on. That's insulting to me. Uh, when people have certain levels of expertise, uh, they are right uh, to uh, get paid uh, for that expertise. And so I'm, I'm insulted by this. Uh, people talk about you buying votes when you're hiring people uh, to do what they know how to do. I hire people every <laughs> campaign season uh, to help get my information out. I don't. I didn't know. I can't go to every county precinct meeting. I hire people to go and deliver my material. I can't go to every convention. I got 16 counties in my district, so I, I, you know, I'm insulted by that, and I really, really uh, get upset when I hear people say that. Do you, do you think he is, uh, his support here is taking away from Joe Biden's support? Oh, there's no question about that. Uh, Joe Biden was getting 52, 54% of the African-American vote. Uh, and then all of a sudden, uh, that started to drop down, in some cases, to the 30th. Uh, another reason I spoke up today, I want people to know uh, that it ain't over till it's over. I noticed I was at an event for Pete Buttigieg a couple of days ago, and one of your grandsons has been a very prominent surrogate for for Mayor Pete. Uh, I'm curious if you view a if you view a generational split here that uh, that people should be attuned to. Um, if if you're what what you said to your grandson about uh, about Mayor Pete when he told you he was willing to he, he wanted to go on this train. Obviously, you have different views on this primary that's coming up. Sure, I encourage him. Uh, when he told me he wanted to work in the campaign, I said, if you decide who you want to work for, <laughs> I was hoping he would uh, say somebody that uh, I could be on the same team with him on. But he, he told me he wanted to work for, for Pete. And um, I asked him why, and he told me uh, why. And I said, he asked my advice, and I gave him my advice. Uh, told him what I thought he would be up against, but I told him I thought he needed to conduct himself. Uh, and um, uh, I hope that he did. From all that I hear, uh, people have been very, very impressed with him. He calls me often for advice, and I give him the best advice that I can give him. Uh, I want him to be as successful as he can possibly be. Uh, but I want Joe Biden to win the primary. And we will see on Saturday whether Congressman Clyburn gets his wish. Our thanks to Congressman Clyburn for joining us for this special edition of the Powerhouse Politics Podcast. For John Carl and the whole team here, Trevor Hastings, Angie Yak, Avery Miller and the gang, we'll be back next week with our Super Tuesday wrap-up.